This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is often ignored or misunderstood in Christian circles today. Without his help, however, we can never pursue holiness in a manner that brings honor and glory to God. And yet, as we have learned over the past several weeks, that is our purpose and calling to do so during our life here on earth, a life of glory. So who is the Holy Spirit? Why is he called holy? What role does he have in the Trinity and in our lives today? Mark Ray will address these very important questions for us. Mark is Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and has a substantial history with Grace School of Theology, including being an original Board of Trustee member and primary advisor from earliest days. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Mark will soon be launching the Grace Center for Spiritual Development, which we want all of you to learn more about in the weeks to come. Let's listen to Mark now to the message, Why is the Holy Spirit Called Holy? in our continued series, A Life of Glory. I have a question for you this morning. You don't need to answer. You just need to ruminate on it. The question is this, why is the Holy Spirit called holy? Why does the Holy Spirit have the word holy in his name? Is that just a catchy phrase? Is it just a nickname? Maybe there's something to the fact that the Holy Spirit's name is the Holy Spirit, and maybe it has something to do with the work of this third member of the Trinity. Maybe it has something to do with what we've been talking about for the last eight messages related to what God created us to, to be, who he created us to be, and what he created us to do, that we are to reflect his image. We're to manifest his character to the world. We're to, to be holy for he is holy, and that sin destroyed that in the garden and subsequently through us, and through grace he came and made us holy again by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross graced us with 33 divine gifts of grace, and from that showed us how we could live triumphant lives. We don't do that because sin rears its head. We talked two weeks ago about how we can know who we are in Christ and consider ourselves dead to sin because of what Christ did on the cross, present ourselves as instruments of righteousness to him for his work. Last week, we saw that the flesh then rears its ugly head. The I, 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 me, 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 me. I want what I want when I want it. And Paul's answer to that in Romans chapter 8, which is the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. This morning, as we conclude this little three-part mini-series within the bigger ten-part series of the spiritual life, we want to look a little more deeply at the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to look at the ways in which the Holy Spirit works 
in our lives to help us defeat the flesh. We want to see that there is the possibility of wounding the Holy Spirit as the scriptures lay out two different ways we do that. And then we want to conclude with just a look at the wonder of the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit. Why is he called holy? I want to start this morning with an incredible list. (laughs) If you do a little Google search and you look up the ministries of the Holy Spirit or the works of the Holy Spirit, you'll find anywhere from 30 to 50 works of the Holy Spirit. 30 to 50 that are a part of our lives. Did you envision that many works of the Holy Spirit, that many ministries of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you a couple of them. The Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit guides us into truth. The Spirit regenerates us, glorifies and testifies of Christ. The Spirit reveals Christ to us and in us. He leads us, sanctifies us, empowers us, fills us, teaches us to pray, bears witness in us that we're children of God, produces in us the fruit of the Spirit, distributes the spiritual gifts, anoints us for ministry, washes and renews us, brings unity and oneness to the body of Jesus Christ. Seals us, sets us free from the law of sin and death, reveals the deep things of God to us, dwells in us, speaks to us, is the agent of baptism in the body of Christ, transforms us into the image of Christ, cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father, gives us access to God the Father, reveals the mystery of God to us, strengthens us, enables us to obey the truth, and to know that Jesus abides in us. Dispenses God's love, teaches us joy, teaches us about Him, moves us, knows the things of God, brings things to our remembrance, and comforts us. Between 30 and 50 gifts and works of the Holy Spirit, and guess who they belong to? They've been graced to believers in Jesus Christ. It's one of the 33 divine gifts of grace that we have instantaneously, simultaneously, the moment we believe we're gifted with the Holy Spirit. Before you think that he's maybe the lesser of the three, is he God himself? So literally what God gives us is himself in the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Unbelievable. Incredible that God would do that. Rather daunting to think about this that all of those gifts and works are available to us. But I want to narrow that down just a little bit because there are three specific ones I want to focus in this morning as the conclusion to the sin-breaking process in our lives. Those three I want to devote ourselves to are the indwelling, the filling, and the walking in the Spirit that deal directly with how to defeat the flesh in our lives. We talked about the flesh last week, that I want what I want when I want it, that me, myself, and my, and Paul says the opposite of that. The contrast to that is the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. And what we want to take a look at this morning is specifically those works of the spirit that deal with defeating the flesh in our lives. When you look at the broad scope of all the ministries of the Holy Spirit, you come away with three things. I do. I come away, first of all, that they're all encompassing. God doesn't leave any stone unturned in our lives with the work of the Holy Spirit. Second, they're very specific, specific to what I need, when I need it, how I need it, and the Holy Spirit does that, but he does it specifically 
in each area of our life. And third, because God gave himself, God gave us himself, we are blessed beyond belief. So the three specific ministries, I call these the ways of the Spirit. The first we deal with is the indwelling of the Spirit. This comes from John chapter 14, the indwelling of the Spirit. When you see these together, it's an incredible thing to look at. The indwelling of the Spirit, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, a paraclete, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. A couple of things to look at when we look specifically at this passage. First of all, the indwelling of the Spirit is an act of the Spirit. It's not mine. It's not something that I do. It's not something that I can achieve by myself. It comes as a byproduct of me trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am indwelt with the Spirit immediately. The moment I trust, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want to leave a second out. Second, it occurs in all believers. We see this in Romans chapter 8. We see this in John chapter 4. We see it in 1 Corinthians 2. All believers, and those here in this particular passage says, those who know him, he dwells in. So do you know Jesus? Spirit dwells in you. Trust it. Assurance. Confidence. If you know Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in him, you have the Holy Spirit. That should be an unbelievable comfort and an incredible blessing on each one of us that God himself says, I want to take up residence in you. The third thing that happens is it happens at the moment of belief. The moment we believe, we're indwelt. And finally, it continues forever. I love this. That he may, the Holy Spirit, may abide with you for how long? How long is forever? He, this isn't just a momentary thing where the Spirit goes, okay, now I'm going to be with you for just a moment, so you just kind of get a flavor of what it's going to be like to be indwelt, but, and then I'm going to leave. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What that means is that when he gives us the Holy Spirit, he doesn't take him back. And it doesn't work this way. Oh, I see you've trusted Christ. You get the Holy Spirit. Oh, you did something wrong. I'm going to remove the Holy Spirit. Oh, I see you did something right. I'm going to give you the Holy Oh, you did something wrong. I'm going to pull him back. That doesn't work that way. Once we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's irrevocable. He doesn't take it back. We have the Holy Spirit What an incredible gift. God himself forever. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the act whereby at conversion, the Holy Spirit makes the believing sinner his permanent dwelling place forever. At conversion, a permanent dwelling place. And I have to ask myself the question, what kind of a home do I have that the Holy Spirit indwells? Think about it this way. How many of you have ever been house hunting? Just about everybody. Or apartment hunting. You go looking for a house, you do it kind of the same process, you get a real estate agent, you go and you look at house after house after house. And if you're anything like me, when you walk into a house, when you're house hunting, you begin to think about, envision where your couch is going to go, whose room is whose, where the artwork's going to go. But if you're anything like my wife, be sweet to her. When you're anything like my wife, you walk into a house and you begin to think about how I can transform this place so that it reflects us. That's an important point. Because when the Holy Spirit indwells us, he begins to transform us so that we reflect the person of Jesus Christ. 
the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, he takes up permanent residence. He doesn't leave us, and we, he's accessible to us to begin to transform us into the reflection, the image of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5 shows us the filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, verse 18, listen to what Paul says. He says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul's writing this specifically to the church at Ephesus, and he's making a contrast here. The contrast is when you're drunk with wine, what controls you? The wine, the world. You're not in control of yourself, but something else controls you when you're drunk with wine. And let me just say, when you're drunk with power, when you're drunk with money, when you're drunk with anything, that's what controls you. But the contrast he makes is instead be filled with the Spirit, because when you're filled with the Spirit, what controls you? Who wants to work to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ, that holy person that you're already created to be? So this incredible contrast that Paul sets up is a contrast between what controls you when you're not under the control of the Spirit and what controls you when you are under the control of the Spirit? And so the issue here, the issue of filling is who's in control. The issue of whether you're filled or not is what controls you, who controls you, the world, Satan, sin, or the Holy Spirit? The purpose of this is so that we can serve Him and so that we can be transformed into the image of His Son. So that we ultimately can do what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. Whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. We show off his character because that's what we were created to do in his image. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, we can effectively go out and serve him and begin to be transformed into the image of his Son because we're under the control of the Spirit. And the Spirit is who? The Spirit is God. And that's God living in us who wants us to be transformed into the image of his Son. Holy Spirit's talking to himself about us and about how to be transformed into the image of his son. The means of filling is a yielding to the spirit. So there is this part that we do play, and that is that we yield to the spirit control in our lives. So control is not mine. I want what I want when I want it. Me, myself, and my. What Paul says, wretched man that I am, we're controlled by the spirit because we yield control to the spirit. And the effect of that is that we're empowered for service. Now we're back to Romans chapter 6, where we present ourselves as instruments of righteousness to God for His service, so that we walk in the works that have already been prepared for us, Ephesians 2.10. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, we allow Him to begin to work in our lives to not only sanctify us, make us holy as we are in Christ already, but also so that we can serve to serve Him. And I wonder this, am I a holy vessel H-O-L-Y, able to be filled, or am I a holy vessel, H-O-L-E-Y, constantly empty? What kind of vessel am I? The third work of the Holy Spirit comes out of Galatians. Go back one book, Galatians chapter 5. This is verses 16 through 26. This is the walking in the Spirit. Paul starts it by saying this in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you're walking in the, in the work of the Spirit, if you're walking in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh can't get to you because you're indwelt by the Spirit. You've yielded control, and now you're walking where the Spirit tells you to walk. When you walk there, you're not walking where the flesh tells you to walk, right? So I'm following the, where the Spirit's telling me to follow, which is walking in what He tells me to do, not what the world tells me to do. So we get this 
This understanding that when we walk where we're supposed to walk, which is in the Spirit, we do not allow the flesh any kind of room at all. The flesh can't get hold. We don't walk that way. We walk this way. We yield to the Spirit and we defeat the flesh. He tells us that. Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. They're contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What he's telling us here is, just like he said in Romans chapter 7, when I follow the lusts of the flesh, I do what I don't want to do, and I become who I don't want to become. Notice he's back to the I, 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 I. When I live in the I, I don't follow the, the working of the Spirit. When I follow the work of the Spirit, the I goes away. Verse 19, he's going to now give us the works of the flesh. There are about four different places in the New Testament where we get these. And here's one section, verses 19 through 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're visible, they're obvious, they're out there in the open, and they're this. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. He gives us this laundry list, and it's a laundry list of relationship situations in which it's a laundry list of things in which I am selfish. These are selfishness, or as I like to call them, selfleshness. These are selfleshness situations. These are selfleshness sins that I walk in when I walk in the flesh. When the flesh controls me, these things become part of who I am because I walk in self. But then he gives us the contrast, and look at the contrast here in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He gives us the contrast, which is when I walk in the Spirit, these become the evident things in my life. And i got to tell you, friends, when I look at those two lists, I want to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the other, the works of the flesh, is yuck. I don't want to walk there. And what he gives us is the way to walk in the Spirit is to yield control so that you're filled with the Spirit by the one that already indwells you. It's an incredible picture that he gives us here. When we walk in the Spirit, the power of the Spirit in us transforms us and we begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit, which, by the way, is the character of Christ, right? Starting with the very first one, love. And what did Christ tell the disciples in the upper room? The last thing he told them in the upper room is, you will be known as my disciple if you have Love for one another as I have loved you. The epitome of the character of Christ, that we love each other as he has loved us, is the first of the fruit of the Spirit. And so when we rely on the Spirit, we, we have the resources to be able to obey God. Sometimes it's not easy, but we have the resources to obey God. And when we do that, then we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives by the power of the Spirit in our lives. Let me show you a summary of the walk in the Spirit. The walk in the Spirit is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whereby in response to a believer's continued yieldedness, in accordance with the biblical command, he frees us. He frees the believer from the control of the flesh and produces the fruit of the Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we walk there is that the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident, not the works of the flesh. And friends, that's where I want to walk. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in us, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, that power of the Holy Spirit in us that makes us go. And go where he wants us to go so that the fruit of the Spirit is what's produced. And I ask myself the question, what's my walk producing? Is my walk producing the work of the flesh? Or is my walk producing the fruit of the Spirit? 
That's a convicting question for me, friends. First of all, the indwelling of the Spirit, that's what allows for the Spirit's control in my life. The moment I trust Christ, I'm indwelt. It allows for the Spirit's control in my life. When I recognize the Spirit and acknowledge His unending presence, that's what I do when I'm indwelt. I acknowledge that He's there indwelling me, God Himself in the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, indwelling me the moment I trust Christ. Second, when I'm filled with the Spirit, that establishes the Spirit's control in my life as I yield to Him I submit to his divine authority, the Spirit's divine authority in my life. And the walking by the Spirit is what maintains the Spirit's control in my life. As I walk where he tells me to walk, I respond to the Spirit obeying his commands because it's God telling me where to go. It's God who knows what he wants me to be because it's who he created me to be. So it's God telling the Spirit, do this with him because it's God talking to God in me, indwelling, filling, walking. Ministries of the Holy Spirit in a life that produce the fruit of the Spirit. But friends, there's a danger. In fact, there's two of them. We can wound the Holy Spirit. We can literally wound the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit a person? Yeah. And so we can wound the Holy Spirit. There's two ways we can wound the Holy Spirit. We can grieve Him, and we can quench Him. Now, I want to talk to you about that in context real quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's the command. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. By the way, that's a command. But when you look down below, here's what he says. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put those things away because that's what grieves the Holy Spirit when there is bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice. Put those away because that grieves the Holy Spirit. And here's the reason it grieves the Holy Spirit. Because what it frustrates his effort to do is to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you and me, which brings about unity in the body of believers. Because we're not living like who we are. When those things earmark us, when those things are what we're, what we're defined by, when, we, when other people see those things in us, It frustrates the Spirit's efforts to bring unity through holy living, through how we live. It frustrates that effort. And so it grieves the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's trying to have us walk in the fruit of the Spirit, and when we walk in the other, it grieves Him because He knows what we could be. He knows the effort and the work. He knows the effect of walking righteously and what that does and what it does in the body of believers. These are sins relationally against one another. He gives the opposite, and he says, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He gives us the compliment, or the contrast, if you will. What he says is, when you're doing this, you grieve me. But instead, let your living be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. That's what happens when we yield control of the Spirit. And he's not grieved when that happens. He's overjoyed because we're walking where he's asking us to walk. And wouldn't you rather be walking there than in the other? The other thing we can do is we can quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit and don't despise the prophecies. What he tells us very specifically here in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 is this, and he's telling it to the church, Don't despise the prophecies. Don't despise the teaching. The teaching that should bind us together as one in Christ 
And when we despise those teachings, we frustrate the effort through guidance of the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures. We frustrate His efforts to be able to unify us. Friends, do you know how many denominations there are in the world today? 4,300. There are 4,300 denominations in the world today that say this. You're wrong and I'm right. What God meant to bind us together, Satan uses to absolutely destroy us. The things that he meant to bind us together, the inerrancies of the scripture, the love of God, the Trinity, Christ being the God-man, the grace that comes at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are one in Christ, that we're dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. The things that were meant to bind us together, Satan uses to absolutely... You ever seen a church split? Let me just tell you the one thing that typically results in a church split. I want what I want when I want it. When I want what I want when I want it happens, the church splits. When we're pursuing the Spirit and what He tells us and we look toward the things that bind us together, we become this unified body of believers. There is unity in the body. This is what He preached all throughout the book of Philippians. Be unified in each other. And so here we quench the work of the Holy Spirit We shut down the work of the Holy Spirit when we despise the things that were meant to bind us together so we can wound the Holy Spirit. But I don't want to leave us there. I want to talk about the wonders of the Holy Spirit for just a moment. And this for me, friends, is why the Holy Spirit is called holy. First, the Holy Spirit is called holy because he inhabits, he lives in a holy life. Now think about this for just a minute. We've talked about it through grace The holy life that he lives in is yours and mine if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right? So think about the fact that the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he lives in a holy life. That's your life and my life made holy by the work of Jesus Christ. By the death of Jesus Christ, you become holy positionally in him and the Holy Spirit lives in a holy life made holy by Jesus Christ. Amen? So first, he lives in a holy life. Second, he leads in holy living. He leads you and me in how to live the holy life we're supposed to live because it's who we are. So he leads us in that holy living by the life of Jesus Christ, by guiding us, leading us, directing us through the scriptures, and by us yielding ourselves to his guidance and his leading. He indwells us, he fills us, and we walk in him. So that we live like who we are in Christ, holy and righteous. The third thing he does, the Holy Spirit labors to mold a holy church. A holy church that sees themselves as united by the things that should unite us in Christ together. He leads us together As the body of believers, not only in this church, but the body of believers around the world, it's the Holy Spirit's effort and intent to unify us in Christ because that's what we have in common. What makes the Holy Spirit holy? He lives in a holy life. He leads us in holy living. And he labors to mold and shape a holy church. There was an Englishman, an American, standing at the base of Niagara Falls, and the Englishman said to the American, come on over here, I want to show you the greatest unused power on the earth. And he took him to the base of the falls and looked up at this magnificent Niagara Falls, and he said, right there, that's the greatest unused power on the face. There's nobody, nothing's harnessed there. It's just this water that goes, oh, this incredible water 
cascading, this unbelievable power. It's the greatest unused power on the face of the earth. And the American looked at the English guy and said, no, you're wrong. The greatest unused power on the face of the earth is the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. We are indwelt. We are filled. And we are to walk in the greatest power ever known on the face of the earth. The power of God in us to be who we were created to be and to live the way we were created to live. When we yield to the work of the Spirit, He makes us what we were created to be, a holy people living for a holy God. That, friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to Mark Ray. We pray you've been enlightened today to all that the Holy Spirit desires to do in and through us. If you are motivated to learn more, we invite you to check out our website at gsot.edu for many resources that we make available here at Grace. There are books like Portraits of Righteousness by Dr. Dave Anderson and online courses and devotionals, all meant to help you navigate your way towards a life of glory. Do you have friends and family who need to hear about God's amazing grace? We encourage you to share our podcast as a perfect way to start that conversation. We're so glad you tuned in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 